You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. So this is the day, guys. This is the day that we celebrate and remember the event that is the basis of everything that we believe and everything that we love. It all balances on this event. This is the day that we remember that almost 2,000 years ago that Jesus died for our sins and that three days later he rose from the dead. And this is that day. This is Resurrection Sunday. And so I'm going to tell you a story sort of to start out um, and just to kind of give you a feel for what Resurrection Sunday means to me. When I was a kid, uh, which is a long time ago, um, but when I was a kid, we had uh, Sunday morning church services and we had Sunday evening church services. I lived in Southern California, in Orange, California at the time, and so in the summertime, our Sunday evening church services were at the beach. We would go to the beach and hang out and basically have a potluck and, and chill, and right now some of the like, teenagers in the church are like, Mom, why don't we live in California? There's no water there, okay? So don't, don't, don't go down there. But um, it was fun for us growing up down there and getting to do that. And I remember one, one time I'm there, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm about seven years old, but I have no idea why I think that I could have been a little younger, a little older. I don't know. But I don't think I was a great swimmer yet. But I was out in the ocean just kind of playing um, on my own and just kind of chilling, enjoying the sun, uh, just, just enjoying being out there uh, and splashing around. And all of a sudden, as I was... As I was doing that, uh, there was a riptide that came through. For those of you who don't know what a riptide is, it's basically a stream of water in the ocean that sucks you out away from the shore, out, out to the ocean. So it's kind of like a, a, a channel that just sort of comes and just kind of sweeps you out. And it really doesn't matter if you're a kid or if you're an adult. If a riptide grabs you, you're not getting out of it. Okay? You're not going to get away from it. You're actually supposed to. They tell you that if you get into a riptide, that you should swim parallel with the shore to get out of the riptide and then start to swim back. But at seven years old, I wasn't familiar with that little life hack. And so uh, I just got caught up in this riptide and started going out to sea. And, and I can tell you that it's a terrifying feeling to know that you're so out of control and to know that you're being taken where you don't want to go and to know that there's nothing that you can do about it. And so I was facing the shore, I think looking for my mom, hoping to see my mom. There's a lot of people on the beach, but I don't think I ever ended up, for my recollection, seeing her or where she was to see if she was somehow going to save me. And I just sort of realized that this was the end. This was the end, no more little David. Uh, and I was little back then, unlike now. Uh, I was going to drown in the ocean. That's, that's, that was the facts, okay? And I remember uh, that I must have been going down in the water because I remember the water is about, you know, like halfway up my mouth was open. It was coming up into my mouth. And at that moment, something happened. At that moment, suddenly, I was grabbed by this pair of strong arms. And the next thing I knew, I was taken to the shore. Uh, and my mom was there, and she uh, sort of grabbed me and, and took me in, and, and it was just some man that happened to see that I was being taken out to sea, and he was quick enough on his feet, and he grabbed me, and he got me out before I died, okay? Um, and it's hard to describe what the feeling is like of going from sort of, I know I'm going to die, to life, 
you know, from death to life, all due to, to basically the strong arms of this man who saw me and pulled me out of it. I, I can tell you, it was an amazing experience. It was an amazing experience, and because there would have been no adult David, no pastor David, right? No father of my kids. They wouldn't be here, right? My wife probably would have married some movie star and been rich and happy. At least that's what she tells me constantly. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. She's not here, so I can say that. Um, don't tell her to listen to this one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, that would have been the end for me. That would have been the end for me. And so to go from fear, terrifying fear, to peace in a moment, in a moment just like that, I had that same experience later in life in a much, much more powerful way, a much more powerful way. I had, there was a time in my life uh, where I basically walked out of what God had for me. I walked away from God. I was rebellious. I had, I was in sin. I did all kinds of things, and I, and I knew better, okay? I was not following the Lord, and it wasn't like I was really confused about what was right and wrong. I knew what was right and what was wrong, and little by little, I had let myself go into this place where I was wicked. I just wasn't doing anything that the Lord had called me to do. I was filling up my life with sin and with rebellion, and I had no excuse. I had no excuse. My actions were pretty constantly just rebellious and wrong. And none of those things, those wrong things that I did individually as they were done, none of them kind of overcame me with guilt and shame and fear as individuals, as little things, right? But but at some point, God let me see my sin as a whole for what it was. And it was like a riptide. It was like a riptide, and it wasn't anything like that little riptide that threatened little David back in the day. It was like Niagara Falls times 10. It was, it was a rush so strong towards death that was pulling me out, pulling me away from the Lord, pulling me. I, I understood that I deserved to die. I knew it. I knew it, and it was so intense I was so overcome by by fear and shame and guilt and grief over what God was showing me about what I had done and what I had become and who I was. And at the end of that experience, I called out to Jesus. And he heard me. He heard me. I called out to Jesus, and he, like the arms of that strong man in the ocean, only in so much more powerful of a way, he pulled me out of that riptide that was pulling me to death of that thing that I knew he, he rescued me I cried out and, and he heard me I cried out and he saved me and I cannot describe the feelings that I had I don't think that there's words for that all I can tell you is this it was the greatest moment of my life to know that I had been saved undeservedly so that God had grace for me there's a story in the scripture, it's in, it's in the book of Luke, chapter 7, if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be up on the screen here, you can look on your phone or whatever. We're going to start in verse 36 of chapter 7. It says this, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went down to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. 
And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said, To Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, like this woman, I had sinned much. I had sinned much. And don't believe what our culture tries to tell you about sin. Don't believe the forgive yourself. Just forgive yourself. There, there's really not any such thing as sin. Uh, you shouldn't feel ashamed. There's nothing you should feel ashamed for. There is no judgment, etc. Because listen, none of that is true. I cannot forgive myself for sin. Okay? I cannot escape judgment or condemnation by myself or through my own power. The judgment and shame that I felt at that time wasn't the judgment of society or some judgmental person or even the church. I understood the righteousness and holiness of God in those moments. I understood his standard and I understood that I had no excuse and that in myself I had no hope. I was undone. I was undone. I was broken. I could not do anything to fix myself. In that moment, all the lives of society were hollow, they were empty. There was nothing that was coming from all the things that I had heard that, I, that everything was going to be okay. None of that. I was lying on the floor before God, and I knew that I was condemned, not because God was harsh, but because I was knowingly rebellious. And when Jesus forgave me, I was free. And I will kiss his feet for eternity if he lets me, because he did what I could never do. He paid the price so I could be right with God. And he gave me a hope so powerful that I would give up everything to follow him. And the question that we have for today, as we think about the resurrection, the question that we have for today is the same question that those at the table with Jesus asked. Who is this who even forgives sins? And this is a question that was answered on the first resurrection Sunday. See, Jesus' ministry was marked by miracles and by powerful teaching. He was able to do things no one had ever done before. He claimed to be God, the Son of God. He claimed to be able to forgive sins and to make us right with him. He claimed that if we obeyed him, we would never see death. That is to say, he claimed that we could be with him forever. These are big claims, okay? And what is it that verifies these claims that Jesus made? 
What is it that makes people like me and many of you and millions if not billions of people around the world believe the claims that Jesus made? It's the resurrection. It's the resurrection. You see, people don't rise from the dead. It doesn't happen, right? They just don't. When the Romans wanted somebody dead, they made that person dead. Those people didn't come back. They were very good at killing people and making sure that they stayed dead. So if Jesus rose from the dead, then his resurrection is our hope for resurrection ourselves. And Jesus' resurrection, he defeated death and hell and gave us the promise that we could be sure that we also could go from death to life. Just think about this. There's something unnatural about death. There's something about death that's just not natural. If you search your heart and your mind, you'll say to yourself, there's something that doesn't feel right about dying. The idea that I would cease to exist, or worse, that there would be something on the other side that wasn't good. Something's not right about that. We don't like death. We fear death. We try to avoid death. We try to stay young. We try to do what we can to stay away from death. We don't like it. Why is that? Because there's something that's not right about it because somehow we know that we're eternal. We know that, that not existing doesn't make sense, that we ought to continue. Okay? It's just a basic thing that we know, that we were made knowing and understanding. That's why we fight against death. Why else would we fight against the inevitable? Why else would we be afraid of it if it was just a normal, natural thing? Because we know it's not normal, and we know it's not natural. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death. He defeated death. He showed us that he was the life, and he proved that his promises were true. His promises to forgive sin. His promises that we could have life in him. He proved it through the resurrection, that in him we would have life if we believed him and followed him. That's what Christianity is about. That's the center. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center of Christianity. The forgiveness of sins, the hope of our resurrection because of his resurrection. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write a letter to the Corinthians, and we find that in the book of 1 Corinthians. And in, in that book, in the chapter 15, we read this. Now, I'm making known to you, brothers, the gospel that I proclaim to you, which you accepted and on which you have taken your stand. Paul is going to be sharing the fundamental truth that verifies the gospel, okay? The gospel is the good news, the good news that you can be saved, the good news that you can have life. That's the gospel, and Paul's going to talk about what verifies that, okay? It's the good news that freed me. When I walked away from the Lord, it's the good news that freed you if you've come to know him, and it's the good news that gives us peace. It's the good news that we have forgiveness of sins, life. So the text says that this is the gospel which was proclaimed to you, which was accepted by you, and in which you stand. Now, what does it mean to take your stand, that we take our stand on the gospel? Now, when I was a young man, they came out with a toy, and the toy was called the pogo ball, okay? I don't know if you guys remember the pogo ball. I have no idea if it still exists. It shouldn't. Um, but what it was, it was this ball with this platform that, like, went around the middle of it. And you would stand on this platform and you'd hold the ball with your feet and you'd jump up and down. It did not work, okay? Or maybe I was using it wrong, but I never got very much jumping. It was just trying to jump while carrying something heavy in your, in your feet. Um, but here's the deal. If you tried to stand on the pogo ball, you know, you held it with your feet and you just tried to stand there, 
it was very hard to do. You would, you know, do this and you'd be falling around and leaning back and forth until you just fell down and looked like an idiot, okay? That's what would happen on the pogo ball. If you're looking to stand, you don't try balancing on a pogo ball. You want nice firm ground and nice sturdy shoes. If you want something to stand on, right? You want something to stand on. As a philosophy major, I've, I've interacted with many, many, many of the worldviews and philosophies that the world has to offer, okay? And I've walked through them. I can tell you this, trying to stand on those worldviews and those philosophies is like trying to stand on a pogo ball. You have to keep bobbing and moving with every objection that comes up because you can't answer them until you fall down. And that's what happens. But that's because they have no substance. They're not true. And ultimately, if you try to stand on them, you fall down and go boom, as we used to say when I was a kid. But the Holy Spirit through Paul here is saying that the gospel is something you can take your stand on. Jesus is the rock that you can take your stand on and not be moved. And the evidence for the truth of the gospel, the good news, is what we're about to read about here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the next verse in chapter 15, verse 2 says, And by which you are also being saved, if you hold firmly to the message I proclaimed to you, unless, of course, your faith was worthless. Of course, this is a rhetorical question. He's saying this is the gospel that leads to salvation, unless, of course, your faith was worthless. What does he mean by that? What could make our faith worthless? Well, our faith would be worthless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Our faith would, listen, this is important. Our faith would be worthless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Listen to what he says next. It says, for I passed on to you the most important points that I received. The Messiah, that's Jesus, died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he is, and is still alive. And he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Next, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and finally, he was seen by me as though I were born abnormally late. Now, this evidence that Paul writes down here is very, very, very early, okay, historically. This thing would have been part of the tradition of Christ followers from the very, very beginning, okay? Some of these letters that Paul wrote and the gospel and so on, they were written some years later, right? Um, the, 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 The stuff was there, the understanding was there, but the, but the books were written later. But this, this saying that Paul just said, this was there from the beginning, Here's what, this guy's an atheist. He's a New Testament scholar. His name is Gerd Ludemann. And he says this about these verses. He says, the elements in the tradition are to be dated to the first two years after the crucifixion of Jesus, not later than three years. The formation of the appearance traditions mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, which is what we just read, falls into the time between 30 and 33 CE. Okay? This was fundamental, what he's just said. Fundamental information to all Christ followers at that time. They would have all known this saying from the beginning. Now, why? Why was this so early? Why is this so important? Because faith in Jesus Christ has always been based on the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Always. From the very beginning. If the factual historical event of the resurrection hadn't happened, there's no Christianity. It is what forms the basis of the gospel on which we can stand. The resurrection. Okay, the passage goes on. 
Paul writing in the Holy Spirit says, for I am the least of the apostles and not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted God's church. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace shown to me was not wasted. Instead, I worked harder than all the others. Not I, of course, but God's grace that was with me. So whether it was I or the others, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Now, Paul recounts here that he's not fit. He's not deserving to be an apostle because he persecuted God's church. For those of you who have been with us in Acts, you know about that. He says, but by God's grace, I am what I am. Now that, what an amazing statement. By God's grace, I am what I am. It is only by God's grace that I am what I am or that you are what you are. It was not based on Paul's work or his reputation or his behavior. If those were the case, he would not be an apostle. He would be an enemy of God right? He would be a rebel and a lawbreaker. He'd be condemned. He was condemning Christ followers. That was what he was doing. And yet because of the resurrection, because Jesus died for his sins, Paul is what he is. And all of us are what we are by the grace of God. Listen, it is only by grace that you are who you are. We live in a culture right now, and really specifically right now, that tells us that we can define who we are. We can live our truth. You heard that? Live your truth. That's your truth. Live your truth. That is standing on a pogo ball. That's what it is. It's standing on a pogo ball. There is no stability because it's not true. It's not true. It's this simple. Outside of the grace and forgiveness of Christ, you are condemned. You are dead in your sins and you have no hope outside of the grace and forgiveness of Christ. You don't get to define who you are. Christ defines that. In Christ, you're saved, justified, sanctified, clean and pure. You're his child forever. You have hope of eternal life. Outside, no hope. Death. Inside, life. Hope. That's it. There's no way to define your way out of it. You don't get to make up your own thing. You can't break the chains of reality in order to describe who you are. You are what you are because of the grace of God, period. We think we, what we want is what we are. We can define ourselves by what we want. We think that we can have our own truth, but we cannot have our own truth. We can only believe rightly. This is very important, okay? little piece of philosophy for you here. You can only believe rightly when your beliefs correspond to the only truth that really exists. You can only believe rightly when your beliefs and what you believe actually corresponds or is the same as the only truth that really exists, which is God's truth. You cannot get away from it. Trust me. I've tried. It doesn't work. All else, everything but that is rebellion. All else is suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And that's what we all have done. That's what we all have done, but for Christ. And, and then, there's, then there's Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And the grace that he provided through his atonement and death and the life that he gives us through his resurrection. And that's the message on Resurrection Sunday. Like the prodigal son, we can come back. Back to our Father's house and know peace and the loving, strong arms of our Father God. That's, that's where we can be because of what happened on this Sunday so long ago. And believe me when I tell you this, 
There is nothing like it. There's nothing like it. The passage in 1 Corinthians goes on to say this. Now, if we preach that the Messiah has been raised from the dead, how can some of you keep claiming there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then the Messiah has not been raised. And if the Messiah has not been raised, then our message means nothing, and your faith means nothing. In addition, we're found to be false witnesses about God because we testified on God's behalf that he raised the Messiah, whom he didn't raise, if in fact it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then the Messiah has not been raised. And if the Messiah has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still imprisoned by your sins. Yes, even those who have died believing in the Messiah are lost. If we have set our hopes on the Messiah in this life only, we deserve more pity than any other people. But... At this moment, the Messiah stands risen from the dead. Let me summarize this for you, okay? Because there's a lot of kind of stuff that he's saying there. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Paul and the apostles and all these other Christ followers, all these witnesses of the resurrection, uh, these, these eyewitnesses, they're all liars. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Not only are they liars, but they are the most pathetic, pitiful liars that have ever existed. Because they're living for Christ, their lives for Christ, based on their assertion, their eyewitness testimony, that Jesus rose from the dead. They're undergoing persecution and privation and death for something that didn't happen if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Because here's the thing. They're going through all that, but if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then there's no forgiveness of sins. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope. Think about that for a second. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope. But at this moment, Jesus, the Messiah, stands risen from the dead. That's why we're here this morning. And oh, praise the Lord for that. We're, we're kind of a ridiculous bunch of people if we're in here listening to this message right now or listening to it online or whatever we're doing if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Kind of ridiculous, okay? But if he did, and he did, then we are the people with the greatest hope in the universe. We have the most hope, the greatest hope the world's ever seen. In fact, we have the only real hope that the world has ever seen if Jesus did rise from the dead, and he did. But if he didn't, our faith is worthless. Our faith is worthless. The book of Hebrews uh, in, in Scripture tells us about faith. It says this. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now our faith is not blind. You may see some folks wearing this sweatshirt that we made. It says, my faith is not blind. And there's a reason for that. Our faith is based on evidence. Evidence of things we don't see based on things that we do see. Here's the thing. You know, for some of you, know, you know I'm an attorney, um, and and for those who know that, you realize just how bad I really was, right? Um, in my story earlier, you know, you know that I'm an attorney, and so here's the thing: juries, they send people to prison all the time and to death based on an eyewitness, based on the testimony of an eyewitness. They're certain enough to say that this man or this woman needs to go to prison for 50 years or needs to go and be executed on an eyewitness that they don't even know. Paul has listed hundreds of witnesses, most of whom were alive at the time, that you could personally go and cross-examine. Ask them about it. Did you really see this? And you go to one, two, three, four, five, 500 
right? More than 500. You could have gone to and said, did you really see Jesus alive from the dead? It was, it was based on, because not everybody did see, right? We, we, we read the cowards, read the passage, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. There's all kinds of things that you don't see and yet you believe. Of course there are, right? Of course there are. The witnesses to the resurrection are so many, right? These things are incontestable. There are, there are scholars of all stripes, atheists, Christian, whatever, that believe that Jesus rose from the dead and just don't have an explanation for it or try to play it off in some way that makes no sense. If you really want to look into that, two years ago I did uh, a message in the Seeking Skeptics or the Skeptics Forum series. It's on our website at seekingskeptics.com. You can go down there, um, the one that was on Resurrection Sunday, and I go through all of that. Go look through that. But here's the thing. Our faith is not blind. See, here's the deal. There are people, we all know this, there are people who will be mistaken about something, about what's true, and might die for that. I had a bunch of people when the Hale-Bopp Comet came by. You remember that? A bunch of people went and, and took their lives. It's happened before. People do things. People might martyr themselves for something that they're mistaken about that they believe. But people do not die for things they know are not true. <laughs> Many of these people went to their death for their testimony that Jesus had risen from the dead. Why would they do that if they were lying? What did they have to gain? Well, you can be very uncomfortable, be persecuted for most of your life, and then die a pretty painful, horrible death. Um, that sounds good. I'll lie to, to get that. People don't lie for those reasons. People lie to get out of those things, right? People lie to get something. They don't lie to get death, okay? So here's the deal. The fact is the historical evidence for the resurrection was strong then, and it was strong enough to change the world, and it did. It's still strong today. It's still strong enough to change the world. It still is changing the world. But today, I want to talk about how the power of the resurrection can change your life. Yes, it can change the world, but first it's got to change your life. Look, why do we have hope? Why do Christ followers have hope? Because of the resurrection. Why can we have peace? Because of the resurrection. How do we endure trials and difficulties? Because of the resurrection. Why can we have joy in this fallen world? Because of the resurrection. Why can we be excited when children are born into this broken, fallen world, so difficult because of the resurrection. What cuts through the pain when someone passes, someone passes away who loved Christ? The power of the resurrection. That's it. That's hope. That's where it is. I don't know where else you would put it. What can wash away your sins Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How do you know that the blood of Jesus can wash away your sins? Because of the resurrection. Because it verified everything that Jesus said. Listen, if you're not a Christ follower today, if you're wondering, if you're working through it, if you're seeking, that's, that's great. But, but don't let this just be another Sunday where you show up at a church. Because it happens to be Resurrection Sunday or because someone invited you. You can have the experience that I had of death to life. And the same experience that I get to relive every time I think about it. Every time I think about what Jesus has done in my life, I get to relive the glory, the amazingness of knowing how dark and how light. That I was being pulled away in that riptide when I saw my sin 
and then I called on my Savior, and that his strong arms pulled me out of it. I cannot tell you how amazing that is. And Jesus wants you to have that same experience. you got to shake all the lies away. And you got to understand that you need Jesus today. you got to understand that. Because here's the thing. If you're going to find, if you're going to choose a philosophy, a worldview, a direction, a path, you might as well choose the one with the guy who rose from the dead, who historically, factually, bodily rose from the dead. You won't find that anywhere else. There's a couple things you will not find in any religion other than following Christ. The resurrection and the grace that comes with it. You aren't having to earn. I'm not, I'm not preaching a message that says, listen, you got to believe in Jesus, and then I've got a list of things. you got to slap yourself with the whip, and you got to you know, do this and give this much money and do this thing and, and go through pain for the rest of your life to make up for all your sins so that Jesus can think you're good enough. No. The whole point of death and resurrection is that he's washed it away, that you can have grace for your sins. There's nothing you could do to earn it. I couldn't give you a list that could make you right with God. Our rebellious hearts made that impossible. The only thing that could make us right with God was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now at the end, towards the end of the chapter, in chapter 15, it says this. Then the written word will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up by victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It's gone because of the resurrection. Now, if you're not a Christ follower and you want to experience the peace, the love, the forgiveness, and the grace of Jesus Christ, we want to talk to you about that after the service. I'm going to ask uh, maybe a couple of our elders to sort of just come up and stand over here under where that light is over there. Um, And if you want to know Jesus, I'll be over there too. If you want to know Jesus, then while we're doing communion here in a minute, I want you to come over and just talk to us. Don't be afraid to come over and say, look, I want to know more. I want to know how to follow Christ. I want the hope of the resurrection in my life. I want that peace. I I understand that riptide. I understand that sometimes when I go to sleep at night and I start to think about what might happen to me eternally, it starts to feel a little bit like a riptide. Like it's pulling me away from God and I want to be, I want to know forgiveness of sins. If you want to know that, don't be afraid to come over and talk to one of us. And this is, this could be the most important morning of your life. This could be it. Don't be afraid to come talk to somebody. If you want to know what resurrection power really looks like, if you want to know what Jesus' death and resurrection means, if you want to know why there's so many millions of people all over the world who still do this, not because we're crazy. It's because we have a resurrected Lord because he's risen. And the power that we celebrate this Sunday can be the power that's in your life for forgiveness and life. Let's pray. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.